Uh, Matthew chapter six is where we left off. Why don't you turn there if you haven't already. And uh, in chapter six, we've been following this pattern that Jesus in his sermon, uh, you know, he, he gives us kind of points um, and, uh, and each, each point uh, has something that's the same. And that is so far he's saying, what you do, do it in secret. Um, and that's one of the, the themes of this, uh, doing things uh, that, that some people are tempted to be seen of men. Jesus says, nope. Uh, let me just review a little bit of a, uh, the past few weeks. We've been uh, slowly moseying through Matthew uh, because we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, the longest oration in the Bible is this sermon Jesus gave here in, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. But the, um, you know, the first chapter uh, there of the Sermon on the Mount was chapter five where we saw you know, the course of the Beatitudes. And um, man, it, uh, it doesn't get more uh, concise and perfect. Uh, we went through that a few weeks ago and chapter five kind of talked about more about what we're supposed to be, salt and light and things like that. When we went into chapter six, that's where this pattern sort of surfaced. And the first thing we saw um, last uh, Wednesday night was guidance on giving, verses one through four of chapter six. And the, the idea of giving alms, but the word alms doesn't mean money, it means mercy. Uh, giving mercy or showing mercy to people. And when you do that, you're supposed to do it in secret, not to be seen of men. Not like the Pharisees, when they gave their alms or money to people, they'd blow their trumpet, da, 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 and people go, wow, look at those Pharisees, they gave people money. Um, Jesus said, do it in secret. Um, and then he uh, went from guidance on giving to point number two, verses five through 15, points on praying. And we saw that last Sunday morning, if you were with us, we looked at Jesus's guidance on prayer. And it was also not to be seen of men, but to do it in secret. When, when you pray, not if you pray, also when you give alms, not if you give alms or showing mercy to people. It's, it's not a when or an if, it's a, it's a when. And so he said that about prayer, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, you know, be seen of men, but do it in the quiet of your closet, uh, he says. And, um, and then I gave you that challenge. And I always like to kind of re revisit that just to see, you know, check your own heart. Are you a doer of the word? You might say, well, of course, Brett, I'm a, I'm a doer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, did you do your assignment last week? Because I gave a very, you know, Jesus gave us a very specific, he said, when you pray, go in your closet. Did we do that this week? That was the challenge last Sunday. And also to pray through the Lord's prayer, uh, kind of slowly, thoughtfully, uh, conversationally with the Lord. That was the challenge last week. Um, so this is a good chance for you just to kind of measure, did, did I do that? Did I carve out time or was I too shockingly busy? Uh, to make time for prayer. Uh, something for you to think about, something to, to uh, remember. Now, if you didn't do it last week, good news, you got next week, uh, you can catch up uh, there. Um, and then uh, sort of humorously, as, as uh, we looked at on Wednesday night, verses 16 through 18, we called that fun with fasting. <laughs> You're like, well, that's not fun. I know, that's why I called it that. Uh, it's like when they give you the little uh, Snickers bars that are like two inches long, fun, fun size. What's fun about that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, I like the fun to me is the big one. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. But, but actually fasting is such a key part of our Christian walk. And we talked about that. And, um, and uh, if you missed that on Wednesday, you know, you guys might, all, all the Portlandia is into their, you know, intermittent fasting and losing weight and stuff. If that's what you're doing, that's fine. But that's not really what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about more of a, a time to carve out for prayer. Uh, instead of eating or, or whatever, you can fast from several things, but, but mostly food is the idea and you spend time praying. And Jesus talked about not if you fast, but when you fast. And he also said that is supposed to be done in secret. So the giving of mercy, 
the prayer, uh, fasting, you shouldn't be doing those things to be seen of men, and that's what Jesus said. So, uh, fun with fasting. The, the next section, this is where we ended on Wednesday night. The next section in verses 19 through 24, we're gonna tackle this and hopefully the rest of this chapter this morning. I'm gonna handle this a little bit like we would on a Wednesday night because man, we gotta gain some ground here and I don't wanna lose the context of what we're talking about here and what Jesus is saying. So let's move on to the next point. Uh, point number four then is the truth about our treasure. And Jesus is gonna talk about the things you value, the things that we value, the things we possess, what, 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 what is important to us. And uh, Jesus is gonna talk about that. Let's take a look. It's here in chapter uh, six, verse 19. Jesus says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Powerful line, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. You can almost say it this way, the things you value and the stuff you put your life energy into, your money, your resources, your time, uh, you, you, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. And, and I, would, I would say, you know, this is something I've noticed that's true, good, bad, or ugly. Because you can invest your treasure in something wonderful, like for example, your marriage, uh, husband or wife, and, and say, I'm gonna invest my treasure into my wife or my husband and say, you know, I'm gonna give gifts and be kind and you know, do nice things and show love and be kind. And the more you do that, the more your treasure is invested, the more your heart is inclined. Um, but it's also true with just about anything else. If your treasure is pornography, and you spend all your time, energy, effort, uh, you know, in, in you know, looking at pornography and, and trying to figure out how not to get caught by your people and, and just kind of doing your thing, the more you invest time, energy, and stuff into that, that's gonna be where your heart's at. Like, it, it's, like I said, good, bad, or ugly. I, I know, you know, it's like uh, when I was a, a, you know, a younger guy, we did a lot of motocross, but not, not that much. Like, you know, I'd go once every so often. And when Joey was a little boy, we started going more regularly, especially with the church people. Remember our Tuesday night motocross night? That was fun. Uh, and we had a blast, but, um, but I did notice, you know, and, and just like with everything, you know, uh, you know, some people can get too invested, I think. Um, I knew families that they had all the motorcycles for everybody in the family and the trailers and all the gear. And man, they were out there all the time riding, 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 riding. And, and, um, and the kids were like, do we have to ride again? You know, and they, oh yeah, that's what we do. You know, we're a motocross fan. And you can invest so much pretty soon. That's kind of like what you worship. Uh, and I've seen that with golf. That's even worse. Uh, at least motocross <laughs> has the word cross in it. I'm just saying. Um, that's the only fun sport with the word cross in it. Um, Somebody told me, well, Brett, what about cross country? I'm like, said, I said, fun, fun sports. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but no, you know, it, it can be your sports or hobbies or whatever. It can, here's the weird part about treasure is you can let your, your, your treasure become something that's, that's really out of bounds. Uh, and, and, and like, let me give you an example because I think Jesus talking about how we're to put our treasure in heaven. This is the main theme of what Jesus is saying. Our love should be toward him and toward eternal things, things that are of eternal value. That's what we should be investing in. But you and I can get so off course in what we invest our treasure in to where it even gets kind of brutal, where we don't even realize we're ruining our lives. Um, you know, how do you affair-proof a marriage, by the way? Um, I think the secret is right here. 
um, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. So if you're investing your time, energy, money, uh, love and affection, uh, or even not even romantic type affection, um, it can slowly become that. And, and here's, here's an example, and this is, if I could only say this as a guy who's done a lot of marriage counseling, this happens far too often. The guy, you know, he's married for 10, 15 years, and his treasure used to be his young bride, his wife, and, and then, you know what, she got busy with kids and got a little bit older and, and tired, and when you got home, she, she was always mad at you because you weren't watching the kids enough, and, and so you're pretty much gonna get whatever. Then you go off to work every morning, there's this nice young lady that works with you, and, and you, you talk to her, and she cares about what you're saying, she's not busy doing the chores around the house, and suddenly your treasure starts transferring from what should have been the wife of your youth, Youth, as the, the Proverbs calls it, uh, you start you know, investing your treasure. Ah, you're just a soft shoulder for her to cry on. You're just being her friend. Okay, so it's a business lunch. It's just lunch, right? I mean, uh, business lunch. Yeah, that's the ticket. And pretty soon you're investing more time with her at work than you are with her at home. And you wonder, why do I not love my wife? I, it always kind of makes me... Um, uh, you know, shocked that people don't get get this. But you know, um, when people come and say, "Pastor Brad, I just don't love my wife anymore," or "I don't love my husband anymore," and when I hear that, part of me inside of me goes, "You knucklehead, that's your fault." Um, see, they when people say this, when they say, "I just don't love my wife anymore," um, that's your fault. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's a promise from God's word. And the problem is, somewhere along the way, you were stupid and then you invested your treasure the wrong direction. So if you're not in love with your wife, see, the reason I know that to be true uh, is because have you ever seen these sweet little old couples that are walking around and they're still like holding hands and, and kissing and, and just, you know, we've got some great couples here at Eighth Degree. I, there's, I have hero couples, I haven't told them this, but I, I look at them as great heroes because, you know, they're, 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 they've been married for years and years and they're happy and they love each other. Oh, but Brett, what, what, what do you feel when you're the wife and the first night that he, when he's in his whatever age period and he has to pull out his teeth at night before he goes to bed? That's not very romantic, you know? How could you love through that? He's like, night, honey. <laughs> Plop. See you tomorrow, honey. <sighs> like, how do you love that? Um, you wanna know? It's because you've invested into each other. It's not about your teeth. Uh, as it turns out. Um, it might have been when you were young and you had you know, 18 year old teeth, that's great. But the youth in that way is kind of fleeting and you're all gonna get older. Uh, I hate to admit it, I know Americans, we think we can beat the age thing uh, and uh, you can get the facelift and all that. And you look really natural. <laughs> I'd try to close my mouth if I could, but I can't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we try, you know, we do all the lifts and tucks and, you know, Botox and all that. It's coming for you, whether you like it or not, age. So what do you do when you're married? Well, more than investing in your Botox, maybe you should invest in pouring your love and affection and attention into the other person so that your, your relationship goes so much deeper. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. I'm telling you, I'm just giving you some freebies here. If you care about your marriage, um, that's something you should always do is invest. Where your treasures? Now, obviously, Jesus is saying your treasure in heaven. So what are the things that are of eternal value? And I would argue your marriage is one of those things. Um, there's, there's blessing in heaven for the person who stays faithful and true to their spouse. That, that's something that the Bible just commends and, and uh, that's important. 
Um, you know, uh, one of the things we used to do uh, as youth pastors, Tad and I would call the dump, the Jackson County dump. And we had a friend there that was one of the bulldozer operators. And he would, he would uh, carve out a place in the stinkiest, grossest part of the dump. You know, the Jackson County landfill is this huge pile of garbage, giant. You know, like a hundred times bigger than this building. And they would carve out a little road for our bus and a little platform, and, it was, and then there was mountains of trash around us. So we'd pull the bus in, junior highs, you know, we'd bring it in, we're going on a mystery trip, you guys, here we go. And we'd pull into the dump, and then right there, we could pull the air brake and say, okay, kids, this is where we're gonna do our Bible study. And the kids were like, it stinks in here, this is horrible. And we're like, yes, exactly. And, and then we said, said see, see that little, well, what does that look like in the mud over there? That, that looks like an old Atari Pong set. Atari Pong, what's that? Oh, uh, that was a video game when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, that was the most valued video game of all. Man, if all you could do is have an Atari Pong. Anybody old enough here to remember the Atari Pong? So for young people, our video games went like, you're, you have Call of Duty and stuff like this. We had Pong and it was a little white dot on your screen that went And we did this for hours. <laughs> we look at our team, we couldn't believe it. You could do something with your thumbs and make it affect this little white dot on your screen. It was amazing. But I would show them, see at one point, some kid, that's all they ever wanted was that little Atari Pong thing and that would make their life happy. But look where it is now. Look at that refrigerator. Some young couple, newly married, finally got the new fridge. Their old fridge broke down and they were just, oh, what are we gonna do? And they saved their money and they were so excited and they put that refrigerator in there and now look where it is, sitting here in a dump. And, and we were just showing how everything that we have, the stuff that we have, it all ends up kind of in the dump. And we show, you know, it's, it's great because there's this plethora of illustrations sitting around and you can even smell uh, how horrible it was. And, and it was a good reminder just to say, you know what? What we need to do as Christians is not be so about our material possessions because they're all gonna fail you. They're all gonna end up in a dump somewhere. But the good news is heaven lasts for all of eternity. So marriage and friendships and ministry and serving the Lord, um, you know, that's where we need to put our time, energy, and effort into the treasure of, of, uh, of the Lord that, that matters. You know, we have so much stuff, I think we, we get de delirious with thinking, oh, we need more. Um, uh, I love the story of William Randolph Hearst. You know, he was a, a famous newspaper publisher in the early part of this century, or the previous century, I should say, of, um, I think he was, a, uh, he was born in 1863, but, um, but later on, <coughs> he started the newspaper company, made millions and millions of dollars, and he ulti ultimately built this castle. I think it's down in Southern California somewhere the Hearst Castle. Um, but when he died, they opened it up as a museum because he had so many expensive pieces of art and there were rugs that were worth, you know, million dollars and people would just come to look at all of his stuff. Um, but the story is interesting. The story is told where one afternoon, uh, you know, he found a description of some artwork that he felt that he must own. <clears throat> so he hired an agent to go and he said, whatever you do, find this piece of art um, and then let's figure out how I can, uh, you know, obtain this art or buy it, find out who owns it. So the agent went off and for several months did some deep dive private investigation where this artwork was. Well, finally, a few months later, he came back to William Randolph Hearst and said, I found the art. He says, well, who, who owns it? What can we do? What's the deal? He said, Mr. Hearst, this piece of art is in your warehouse right now. <clears throat> and it's still wrapped in its crate. Uh, it hasn't even been opened. Uh, Hearst was searching for a treasure that he already owned, as it turned out. Um, you know, and, and such is the power of wealth. 
You know, um, it, 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 it really does bind us and the treasures we already have, it, it makes us focusing on having more, more and more and more, without really appreciating what we already have. So when your treasure is stuff that's, that's like moth, rust, and you know, thieves can break through and steal, um, Jesus is telling us the truth about our treasure. And he's, he's making it clear that, man, you gotta make sure your treasure is going the right direction. So great stuff for us to think about today. One thing about the Sermon on the Mount, extremely practical. You know, it, it, it's something where you don't have to really think much about it. Am I investing my treasure in the right direction? Is it all about my financial portfolio? Well, that's gonna let you down someday. And that's not gonna be something you can take to heaven. Um, but you know what's interesting? Uh, the truth about treasure is uh, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That's what Jesus told us there, um, as it turns out. And I'm so thankful for that, that, uh, that Jesus makes that clear. Now, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Jesus talked about this, by the way, in Luke chapter 12. Why don't you keep your finger here in Matthew? Flip over to Luke chapter 12. Let's remember this guy comes up to Jesus wanting some help from Jesus. And it's actually helped someone's come, to, come and ask me for that kind of help uh, as a pastor. So I can sort of relate to Jesus a little bit uh, on this one, probably one of the few things I can relate to Jesus on. <clears throat> but this guy comes up and, he, and what happens is, I guess the, the inheritance that he uh, wanted or needed wasn't being divvied up by his brother actually. So, he, so he's like, Jesus, uh, well, let's just read. It's Luke chapter um, 12, um, starting in verse 13. It says, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? It'd be like me saying, what, am I executor of your will, your parents' will or something? Like that's, that's what Jesus is saying. You, well, I'm not, that's not my job to split up your inheritance. Now, Jesus isn't just being rude here. <clears throat> Jesus knows what's in this guy's heart. And he knows that it's not really a legitimate thing that he's wanting to have the, you know, maybe he, you know, if there's one thing I've seen about inheritances and executors of wills and stuff, it's oftentimes ugly. I, I'm always shocked. Families that I would have thought, oh, these people, they'll have that all dialed in when grandma goes home to be with the Lord or grandpa. But I'm always stunned how horrible people are handling this. Uh, so just a heads up, before you kick the bucket, you might wanna make sure that's all in order because it's, it's horrible. I just see this all the time. I've done hundreds of funerals and that's oftentimes an ugly part of that. Um, so this has been happening since the time of Jesus. So Jesus sees that the, there's something wrong in this guy's heart, says, what am I, your executor? And, uh, and, the, and, um, and, and then Jesus said in verse 15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Boy, there's a huge statement right there. A man's life doesn't consist, the substance of his life, the weightiness or value of his life doesn't have anything to do with how much stuff he has. Boy, uh, you know, we kind of have the culture says, who, he who has the most stuff wins. That's, that's not true. Uh, often it's the opposite. But then Jesus tells a parable in verse 16. And so Jesus spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, <laughs> thou hast made goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, 
This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not, look at this, rich toward God. Would you think about that for a second? <clears throat> what does it mean <clears throat> to be rich toward God? This is something Jesus said, that Jesus coined the phrase. And, and so, you know, we could ask, are you a rich person? And boy, there's a question that people have a hard time. I'm not rich. Most people think they're not rich. But really, uh, you know, you, you guys know, we're, as Americans, we're the wealthiest people in the world. Um, and, uh, and yet, uh, we still, none of us think of us, ourselves as rich. And then you have to ask, well, how much is really uh, too much? When do you, should you earn your last dollar? Have you ever thought about that? Um, but Jesus asked the question, you know, basically, are you rich toward God? So that's the key. It's not, are you rich in your finances? Are you rich toward God or in heavenly things? And this guy was building his bigger barns. He wasn't getting wealthier to somehow do something that was eternal, to use his resources. See, earning money is not a bad thing. Working hard and earning a lot of money, that's fine. It's just that it's what you do with that. Are you investing it, sending it ahead of you? And in, in, are you rich toward God? Are you helping the poor widow? Are you helping the single mom? Are you uh, giving money to the, the group that needs help? Or the, you know, yeah, it's, it's, you think about, there's so many things we could do with financial resources. Um, and, and that's how you kind of send it ahead of you. Are you rich toward God? That's the question. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. You know, um, have you ever thought about like Elon Musk, uh, how rich he is? Um, do you ever think, when, when is he gonna say, you know what, I've just earned enough. That's the last dollar that I'm gonna earn, you know, with the amount of money he has. By the way, I checked. Um, he has right now $263.4 billion. Um, and now he, give or take, 50 billion here or there, he loses it and gains it every 10 minutes. But, um, um, but you know, have you ever tried to visualize uh, 263 billion? Well, let me help. Uh, so this little red square here, if, um, if this represents $100, let's say this red square that is $100, and, and then you shrink that $100 down and then put that within you know, $10,000, it's kind of a perspective on $100, $10,000. And then if you shrink the $10,000 down, uh, that's 1 million. The green square is 1 million. And and, and that blue square represents the median U.S. annual household income. Uh, that's the, the median, $70,000 a year, uh, just for perspective. But shrink down the $1 million and go to $100 million, and you start saying, okay, so the green dot, and you can't even really see any of the other dots now for the most part. They're just a pixel on our screen. But 11 million is that blue square, which is the net worth of the top 1% of the, of the United States households. So the richest 1%, that blue square represents them. Um, so 100 million, man, you're living large at 100 million, but you shrink down 100 million to that red dot there. Now you got 10 billion. Um, and, uh, you know, just for point of reference, the building in Dubai, you know, the Khalifa Tower uh, there in uh, the Burj, uh, the world's tallest building in Dubai, they, that costs 1.5 billion to build that building. So it's just point of reference, how much things cost, but shrink down the 10 billion. And now look at this. Um, now this is interesting because um, for you online, you can see it. For you guys out here, you can see it, but you guys on the edges, I'm really sorry. Uh, you'll have to look at this later online. Uh, but the screen behind me up here, that, that, all that green area represents the 263 billion of Elon Musk, that's his wealth. And if you look at that little tiny dot there, uh, the white dot, that's the $1 million. Uh, in the, so if you can just say, that's like a pixel of this giant screen that we have up there. So that's just a point of reference. 
When is Elon Musk gonna say, you know what, I, I think I have enough. Uh, man, you could build how many Dubai buildings, you know, with how many billions and billions? Uh, well, 263 or, you know, 250, let's say 250 uh, Dubai buildings he could build or whatever. Um, but you say, but, but he's going to space, he still has to go to Mars and that's gonna cost him a lot of money, probably. Um, but all that to say, uh, you know, I, I do worry about a guy like him because the Bible says stuff that's kind of scary. And, and by the way, you know, we, uh, there's so many things you can kind of compare just to get a point of reference of how much things cost and stuff. But, but the Bible says that the key is to be rich toward God, not just rich in this world. And the rich of this world, seem, they seem to be some of the most unhappy people in the world. Um, and so what happens is, is Jesus starts saying stuff that's really scary. Like it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this idea of our wealth and our money and stuff, it's one of the greatest barriers to even keeping us out of heaven. And that's something we should be very aware of. And that's why, you know, as, as Jesus goes into the truth about treasure, that's the thing we have to realize is Jesus is telling us how to do it. Don't invest just in this world. Don't, don't only be all about this lifetime, but send, send it ahead. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. And you want your heart ultimately to be tucked away with the Lord, safe and sound. Uh, you want your love, the things you value, the things that you uh, think are important, um, man, you, you want that. So all that to say, um, uh, you know, uh, Elon Musk, we need to be praying for him. Did you see, by the way, the Babylon Bee, uh, they interviewed him uh, and it was an interesting interview, but then they did, Elon, why don't you accept Jesus Christ and become a Christian? Like they literally asked him if he would do that. And I was like, maybe he's gonna do it. And he almost seemed to think about it for half a second. Uh, but then he kind of dismissed, oh, well, I kind of am a believer of this and this. And, and, um, and, and it's interesting because I do kind of wonder if he's, if he's close. Wouldn't it be great uh, if, if a guy like Elon would just uh, accept Jesus? That's what he needs. Um, that's really whether he knows it or not. But back to this idea of the truth about treasure, some take these next uh, verses as a separate topic but I wanna share with you as we continue. Let's take a look here. So, so it, it's, a diff, it, it's, it's a different direction, but it's the same issue. Uh, check it out. And, and we continue where we left off in verse 35. Uh, no, I'm sorry, where am I? I flipped to the wrong page. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, back to verse 22. Jesus says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Um, what's this thing about this? Now, you, some of you say, well, the window of the souls, the eye, that's all true, but that's not really what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's talking about the, you know, the light of, of whatever's going on out here. What kind of eye do you have to, to take in? Are you taking in are you a single? Jesus basically says there's two kinds of eyeballs or two kinds of eyes. There's the single eye and the evil eye. Um, the evil eye is what you know your teacher used to do when you uh, were disobeying in class. They'd give you that evil eye, like knock it off. But that's not what it's talking about. Um, the, 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 the single eye is um, not like a pirate. Uh, I am me buckos, shiver me timbers. No, the single eye is, the, is a focused, uh, a single focus on the right thing, something that's good and singular, singularly focused on light, on goodness. But the evil eyes, singularly focused or uh, looking to evil things, maybe not even focused. Uh, the evil eye kind of looks at a little bit of everything. Um, you say, what does this have to do with our treasure and our money? 
The Jewish person listening to Jesus probably would recognize the language that he's using, the evil eye, the single eye, because the Old Testament Hebrew Bible talked about this stuff. So this wouldn't have been uh, as foreign to you and I uh, as we read Jesus talking about the evil eye versus the single eye. Let me just give you one example of that. Proverbs 28, 22. Uh, Solomon, who knew something about wealth, he said, he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Um, This is a warning, by the way, in the Proverbs, Book of Wisdom, the get rich quick schemes, run for your life, man. He that hasteth to be rich, that's the get rich quick thing. Um, That's an evil eye. I wanna get rich quick, I wanna get money fast. Um, uh, The Bible actually recommends good old fashioned hard work to earn money. And to be wealthy is not bad, but if that's what you're all about, I wanna get rich quick, uh, it says poverty's gonna come. But this is that evil eye. Who has an evil eye? The one who lives for riches. It's not wrong to have things, but if you live for those things, your eye is evil eye, and your life will be full of darkness. And this actually rings true. The people that are wealthy, not all people are wealthy that are, are, have the dark evil eye, but you can see when the people, that when it's all that they're really about is their money you can see that some of the richest people, even here in our neighborhoods around us here, are some of the darkest people you know. They're unhappy, they're living for the, the, the money or their wealth or their fancy houses, and they drive around in their fancy cars miserable. Um, and you can see this. Um, it, it's funny what your eyes look at uh, through life and what you think, this is what I really want. This is what's interesting to me. Life, you go through changes, you know? When you're a little kid, you're driving with your parents, like, mom, dad, look at this, look at that, look at this. And the parents are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, because when you're a little kid, everything's like new. Look, look, look. Then, then you're a teenager, you get your driver's license and no longer, look, mom, look, mom. You're like, look how cool I am, I'm driving now. And look at me, it's all about me, look, look, look. And, and, then, and then you get to that more middle age, you're driving down the road, and it's like, now you're just looking to make sure you don't run people over and looking at cars and just you know, life and whatever. And then you get really old, and then you just, you're driving, your neck's a little stiff, and instead of looking, you just kinda just keep going and, uh, and just swap over lanes. And I don't use your turn signal because uh, you like to keep them guessing, you know. <laughs> like you go through life and things just kinda change, right? Uh, but. But this idea of what you're looking at, spiritually, there's people that go through these different ages of their life, and, and some of you are getting to the older age where you've been looking at wealth all your life and you're realizing, totally empty. Remember Solomon, who's, who had wealth, women, uh, power, uh, you know, I mean, everything you, a person would want, and he says, it's all vanity. Everything is vanity, vanity, and he just went on and on about that. So what does the single eye look like? Well, I think Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, gives us kind of an, a, a reminder. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter, as some of your translations say, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the single eye that's looking to Jesus, keeping the right perspective. Um, so all that say, the truth about our treasure. Uh, and then there's one more verse in this uh, section, verse 24. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, people have made more of this uh, word mammon, uh, and you know, I've, I've heard it and read commentaries of uh, the god of mammon, and that is, a, that is true, but sort of. The word mammon in the Greek is, is really just the Greek word for money. 
that's all it is. It's not some stone God that we worship, but Jesus is sort of implying that you're either worshiping money or you're worshiping God, but you can't, you can't do both. Can't do both at the same time. So, uh, you know, in, in a sense, money can become an idol that people worship. So yes and no on the whole idolatry thing, but, but you cannot serve two masters. Um, you know, how do you know uh, if you're serving one master or other? You know, what dictates your life? Does God dictate what you do and where you go or does your money dictate what you do and where you go? Um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because money can, can mislead us. Um, by the way, when people say, you know, the good book says, usually they're about to misquote the Bible when they say that kind of language. The good book, well, um, you'll hear people say, the good book says money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. Um, it's actually 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, which says, for the love of money. That's the operative thing there, the love of money. It's not that money itself, or even mammon, it's not even that that's evil, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil, which some, uh, while coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced them th themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible tells us over and over again about the danger of us loving money. Um, Paul tells young Timothy, hey, tell the church there, you know, um, be not high-minded concerning uncertain riches and don't put their trust in that. Uh, it's a fleeting thing, money is. So there's, there's little hints and that's something you should probably do a little inventory in your own heart. And you might say, well, Brett, I'm broke. Doesn't mean you're still not um, serving mammon more than, in fact, I would, I would venture to say this, uh, that some of us, you know, um, I remember, you know, being totally broke as an old youth pastor and Debbie and I, you know, eating top ramen for years. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was always kind of a, just, you know, pennies. We were just saving uh, while we we're in college and stuff. But I think sometimes that's a more, uh, more even of a temptation to be concerned and focused on money than when you get older and you start making money. Uh, just because you're broke doesn't mean you're free of this. Uh, it could be part of the problem. So the love of money is the root of all evil. So uh, that's important. So number one, we saw a few weeks ago, guidance on giving, points on praying, fun with fasting, truth about our treasure. And now we have wisdom. Jesus is gonna give us wisdom on worrying. How do we deal with worry and anxiety? Verses 25 through 32, let's take a look. So it says here uh, in uh, Matthew uh, verse 25, Matthew 6, 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Now pause just for a second. Uh, just, we live in a culture that's asking questions and people don't know the answers. They ask like this, um, how many genders are there? And then people are like, hmm, I don't know, that's a great question. Um, there's an answer for that too. <laughs> but here's another question that people, especially in Portland, struggle with. When Jesus asks this rhetorical question, Aren't bir are birds better than humans or are humans better than birds? Jesus asked this rhetorically, but the, the idea of a rhetorical question is there's an obvious answer. And the obvious answer Jesus is saying is people are more important than birds. So if you're one of those people, follow Jesus on this one. Um, I've got a story that I don't have time to tell. It involves a snowy plover, a bird, 
and a quad that this environmentalist was racing up and down the beach yelling at people for disrupting the beach. Um, we were at a family camp and, and this, this quad lady almost ran over one of our children on the beach. My wife came up and, and the, we, we said, you know, you, you almost hit that child and yeah, but I'm here guarding the snowy plover. Um, and we said, man, you probably shouldn't be doing that on a quad, you know, tearing up the, the sand and all that uh, and, um, and almost hitting children. And my wife, the mama bear came out, I'm gonna defend her. The mama bear came out on her and she said, are children less important than birds? And the person said, that is correct. And that's when we had to get some of the elders and deacons and me to pull Debbie off of this person. <laughs> Literally, like, like I got the elders, you know, I think George was one of them, and there was, but there's Debbie, and, could you guys, and they're pulling Debbie off, and I'm like, um, you might wanna leave now, because um, you know, she's, she, she's, this is dangerous. You're in a dangerous situation right now. You might become extinct. Uh, um, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, as it turns out, God cares about the birds too. Uh, and even if a little bird falls from the sky, the Lord knows that. When a bird smacks into your window at home, guess what? The Lord says, I knew that bird. And he knows, that's kind of sweet. But people are more important than birds. Just for those of you that are from Portlandia here, just wanna make sure you see that. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, not the main point, but it is funny that Jesus asked that. Are you not much better than they? And the answer is yes. Um, and that's important because there's people that say, well, the unborn baby, which is more important, a fetus or a whale or an endangered seal or bird. Um, a lot of our culture today are choosing the whale over the baby or things like our culture is really messed up. Jesus is assuming we know just silly basic stuff here. Um, are you not better than they? Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? So when it comes to mammon and your treasure, he says, set your treasure in heaven. Therefore, because of all that, don't worry about your food and your clothing, what you're gonna eat and what you're gonna wear, and don't be anxious. Um, there's some things here that we need to sort of note because this might seem a little callous, but when you look at this um, up closely, Jesus is saying something that's very uh, caring and, and loving. And uh, like, for example, when he starts off, he says in verse 25, take no thought. You're like, so I'm just not supposed to think about anxiety? If I'm worried about what's, what I'm gonna eat tomorrow, I'm, gonna, I'm take no thought, just don't think about it? Well, it's actually, when you read the Greek text, the, the, the no is the absolute there, uh, for sure, the Greek me. Um, but the, the thought is this um, interesting Greek word, mernao, mernao, which means to be anxious, to be troubled with cares. Uh, to, and it also means to seek or promote one's interest, to be concerned about your own interest. And, and even troubled by that. So really, um, like some of the newer translations uh, perhaps uh, puts it in a way that's even more uh, uh, in line with that Greek. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's the better translation. Uh, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Um, and that's the truth. Uh, don't, don't be, it's not don't think about it. Uh, it's just saying, don't be stressed out about it. 
Don't be anxious about it. Jesus is, is making that argument. So um, when he's giving us wisdom uh, concerning worry, um, the Lord's saying, the, you know, doesn't the Lord care about you more than he cares even about the birds? And the birds aren't sowing and reaping like farmers, storing up food. The birds just gotta trust that they're gonna have food. And we can do the same. That's what the Lord is uh, arguing here. Um, and and it's, uh, it's interesting because um, in verse 27, when it says, you know, can a man try to, you know, add one cubit to his stature, make him taller? <laughs> um, did you know in, in England, they're actually doing surgeries, um, more still in an experimental form, where they're adding two inches to your height. And they do this by adding to your femur and your leg and uh, give you a couple inches. The only problem is everybody that's had it so far is living with excruciating pain and can barely walk. But other than that, they're two inches taller. So Jesus is still right on this one, by the way. Um, but um, you know, it's interesting because when Jesus uses the illustrations, I love how he uses illustrations and everybody knows. Birds, we all know birds. For thousands of years, we can talk about birds. And the lilies of the field. I love that Jesus uses that. Look at the lilies. Of, I, you know, this, this watermark picture that's back on our points, that's where one of our shots we took of where Jesus gave the sermon. And I almost wonder, was there lilies growing in the field at that time? And Jesus said, hey, consider the lilies. Look at these flowers. Aren't they arrayed better than even Solomon in all his glory? Solomon in the Jewish history is the most uh, elaborate dressed dude uh, in Jewish history. And so he's saying, man, Solomon looked like, like he was wearing rags compared to these flowers. And aren't you guys more important than these flowers? Now, here's where our culture, we miss it. And it's really sad um, because some of us were told what I would say is one of the biggest lies of evolution. So nobody gives glory to God, who's the creator, who gives the flower their life and their beauty and the birds. Um, they, they say, you know, it, there was an evolutionary process that uh, made, you know, went from prebiotic goo uh, with a lightning bolt that struck life into it. And then after billions of years, eventually it became birds and animals and us uh, and all that. And, 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 and for a flower, it's really not God, it's photosynthesis and the process of the, you know, and, and we, we try to make everything scientific and we take God out of the equation. So Jesus's illustration doesn't even hold up for some of you. Because you just think, oh yeah, whatever, it's just photosynthesis. No, it's, it's God who created photosynthesis and God who created uh, all of the creatures. It wasn't by accident. By the way, did you see this article a couple months ago, the Guardian article? A big group of scientists, and these are, I'm, I'm, they all kind of grouped together, probably because they knew they were gonna be sent to the guillotine after they made this thing. So they made this huge group of scientists, um, and the article says, do we need a new theory of evolution? Um, this is the basic story of evolution as the, uh, recounted, they say in all the textbooks and you know, pop science bestsellers. The problem, according to this large group of scientists, is, is what they call the absurdly crude and misleading information evolutionists have uh, just assumed and misled a lot of people. These scientists are saying this. For one thing, it starts talking about the eyeball. And this is something I've talked about a lot here at Athey. Like, how did the eyeball evolve? And if you ask the evolutionists, they've got this really goofy answer. Um, uh, you know, that the little lizard that squirmed out of the ocean was blind. It didn't have any eyes, um, you know, like the little salamander or whatever. Uh, and, then, and then suddenly there was a freckle on one lizard, billions of years ago, but a freckle. And then that freckle was sort of sensitive to light. Uh, maybe got a little bit of a sunburn. And then that, that lizard had another lizard baby and it had a freckle just the same way. And that freckle was even more sensitive. And after you know millions of these 
lizards being born. Eventually that freckle sort of became something that was actually really sensitive to light and actually could perceive light connecting to the neurons in the brain. And then after another millions and millions of years, that freckle turned into actually, there was a lens that started to focus that light and a cornea and iris. And, and, and the scientists are saying, not only did that happen to happen on one side of the freckle of the head of the lizard, but it had to happen on both sides of the head of the, of the lizard. And they, 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 they say, you know, the evolutionists, these scientists are all saying that we've taken for granted the existence of light sensitive cells, lenses, irises, without explaining where they came from in the first place. And it goes on and gets into some interesting things like the sexual organs of animals. Like when did it, when, how did it evolve where there was a male and female who are separate bodies slowly evolving to have sexual organs? Well, that took millions of years. How did they reproduce before they had their sex, sexual organs? Like there's some real clumsy stuff that you have to kind of think about um, that they've, they've not even really brought up. Uh, and so these scientists are saying, it does not adequately explain the such delicate and easily disrupted components meshed together to form a single organ. Um, it's not just the eye or the first wing uh, or the first placenta, how they emerge, explaining these is the foundational motivational uh, of evolutionary biology, says uh, Armin Motzek, a biologist at Indiana University. And yet we still do not have good answers for these. This uh, classic idea of gradual change, one happy accident at a time has so far fallen flat. These are guys that are not Christians, uh, creationists. Uh, these are scientists that are saying, uh, no. Uh, you say, bro, what does that have to do with the study today? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I know, uh, flower, the lilies of the field. See, when Jesus uses the, much of the world's like, yeah, whatever, that's just photosynthesis. And yeah, whatever, the birds, they, they've evolved and figured out how to survive. So we diminish what actually really happened, but it's part of God's plan. Um, now, um, now this idea of, of worry and anxiety, what does the Bible have to say? I love probably the classic scripture, uh, Philippians four, six, and seven. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and this is what happens, I love this. And the peace of God, which passes or surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the Bible tells us how to handle anxiety when you're worried about your money or your provision or food or clothing or jobs or whatever. Um, you, you, it sounds kind of brutal at first because it says, don't be anxious about anything. Rip it out. If your heart is full of anxiety, rip it out. But, but I need to tell you, you'll have a worry hole in your heart if you rip out anxiety. So you gotta fill that worry hole in your heart with something else. What do you fill it with? This verse tells us, with prayer and supplication, which is letting your request be made known to God, and also with thanksgiving. One of the greatest ways to combat worry and anxiety is to be thankful for that which you already have. Be thankful for what God has already done. Instead of saying, oh, what are we gonna do tomorrow? Uh, think, wow, we've never gone hungry in the past. And look at, we've, we've never run around naked, at least not, not unless you live in Portland. Um, <laughs> And, um, and we've never really needed stuff. Like, like the Lord has been faithful all these years and just say, thank you, Lord, for all of your great provision. And so you don't wanna just rip out your anxiety and say, whatever. No, you rip out the anxiety and then fill that hole with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Now, before we move on to the next uh, point, I need to talk about this anti-work movement. Have you guys seen this that's in the world today? the anti-work movement. And the reason I say that is because someone could misconstrue some of the scriptures we've just read with, uh, well, I'm not gonna work then. 
uh, because man, the Lord's gonna provide. And, and by the way, when I was young, it was the hippies that did this. Uh, we had a bunch of hippies that lived in Southern Oregon and uh, you know, they were off in the woods living on nuts and twigs and stuff. And, um, and then, they, then they'd come into our church and say, brother, you know, we need food. Um, and the Bible says you're supposed to give to the poor. And so, and they were very entitled. And, 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 and they'd say, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'd say, well, you know, I, I think you should probably get a job. In fact, and oftentimes as an assistant pastor, I'd say, hey, you know, we, we, we have some weeds that need to be pulled out here. And we'd love to have you just come and help pull weeds. And man, we'll hook you up with some dinner and some food and, and take care of some stuff. But, you know, uh, maybe just pull some weeds and stuff. Because I'd sense that they kind of just needed it work. And they'd say, the Bible tells us, you know, that we're supposed to help the poor and not just say be warmed and be filled and then quote scripture and stuff. And so then I'd bust out my scripture and just say, listen, here's what the Bible says. Second Thessalonians chapter three, uh, verses 10 through 12 makes it really clear. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. <laughs> For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. This is the Bible here, folks. So what's the line? Because of course we're supposed to help the poor. You see, there's a difference between somebody coming into the church office saying, man, we've come on some bad situation. We've had a bad season in our life and we're, you know, we're looking for work. And, and you can kind of sense when somebody's lying. Not always, some people are really good at the lie part. But... Um, but usually at the Creek, we err on the side of trying to help people that really just need help. And we do that all the time. But once in a while you get that entitled person and there's this anti-work movement that's getting worse and worse ever since the coronavirus, um, where there, there are people who just aren't going back to work. And you know, they're just saying, well, if, uh, if it's this or that and the government's paying us money and, and people have just lost this desire. But we gotta remember, it's not just this verse, it's 1 Timothy 5.8, if, if, if any person, man, particularly provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, faith and is worse than an infidel. Um, the Lord has called us to do work. Uh, that's part of the curse of man is we're supposed to work by the sweat of our brow and that's part of the deal. Um, and so that's kind of an important thing when, when we talk about this trusting the Lord for food and clothing. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to get a job. Uh, don't make that argument. The Bible is not saying that. Does that make sense? I had to put that in, especially for some that uh, in our culture that are just not wanting to work. Um, well, he goes on, verse, uh, where were we? Verse 32. Uh, pardon me, verse 31. Uh, therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now the Gentiles there were non-Jews, but at that time we could say unbelieving people because uh, the Gentiles were unbelievers at that time. So that's the idea. For even the Gentiles seek all these things. Um, for your heavenly father knows that ye have need of all these things. Now, this is kind of the end of this, this, this point, a wisdom on worrying. Jesus reminds us of things he said earlier in the sermon already. Um, you say, Brett, you repeat yourself sometimes. Well, Jesus does too, so just heads up. Um, he, says, he says this, you know, the Father knows what we have need of before we even ask. This is the second time he said that in the sermon. Why does the Bible have repetition? Uh, I like the old saying, repetition is the mother of all learning. And I find that to be true. But Jesus repeats that to say, you know, the Lord knows our needs 
and whatever you need, the Lord can take care of it. So you pray, you ask, you trust the Lord, asking humbly, and the Lord is the provider. He's, his name is called Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for our needs. So you have guidance with giving, uh, points on praying, fun with fasting, uh, truth about our treasure, wisdom on worrying, and then the last part of chapter six is um, serious about seeking, verses 33 and 34. Let's finish with that. It says in verse 33, classic verse right here, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. <clears throat> this classic, classic verse, seek ye first. The word first there, by the way, is not just first in line chronologically. <clears throat> the, the Greek word is protos, which means prominent, of high rank, and it's the foremost. The reason this is important for you and me is, um, it's not that you just seek God first and then do everything else. It's that, that seeking God should be the priority over everything else. What do you mean, Brett? Our temptation in humanity is to compartmentalize our lives. Here you got your job, your career, here you got your hobbies, here you have your family, here you have your friends, uh, and here's your church life and your religion, and here's, you know, and we, we, we wanna compartmentalize all that. And that's fine if you wanna do that. Only the religion Jesus part, that should be over all the compartments. That's the idea of protos. It's, it's foremost and it's the preeminent thing over all things. Seek ye prominently first, prioritize over all things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. I love what a promise this is. And this is why a lot of people have this memorized, we sing this song, because it's one of those scriptures, just this beautiful, that the Lord says, if you seek me first and my righteousness, we'll talk about that in a second, um, then all these other things will be added unto you. You don't have to worry about stuff. As it, I, I believe it's true. <clears throat> if you're seeking the Lord through prayer and his word and counsel from other Christian people and just seeking God's wisdom, Lord's gonna take care of everything. And you don't have to worry about that stuff. Not be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. That's what the Lord is talking about. So Jesus is first. Jesus in your work, Jesus in your family, Jesus in your schooling, Jesus in your hobbies. Seek first Jesus. Um, very, very important. So serious about seeking. The problem is, I have to say, most of us as Americans, I don't think we're serious about seeking. Um, we seek so many other things before we seek the Lord. Feeling a little bit ill or um, depressed? Seek ye your doctor first your psychologist, psychiatrist first. I mean, there's a certain value in, in those disciplines, of course, but are you first seeking the Lord and his righteousness? Because then all the other stuff will be added unto you. But we seek, you know, do we seek first our finances? Say, well, do we have enough money for this? Rather than saying, Lord, is this something I should actually do or purchase? Um, seeking first is something, you know, sometimes we think about Jesus last when we're making a purchase of a house or moving to a new community. You know, we've had a lot of Athe Creekers who've moved from, you know, this area. Understandably, Debbie and I moved here because it was wacko. Um, it was the least churched uh, city in America back in 1996, and that's why we moved here. We thought, we gotta go, and, and it's true. It's, but it's funny, we do love Portland. It's kind of funny. The Lord just kind of made our heart just be love this area, but it's wacko. 
Um, and so we have a job to do. And, but, but you know, this last two years, people have been leaving Oregon and Portland by the droves. Understandably, crime and homicide is exponential right in our backyard here. And there's tents everywhere and trash. And you know, there's like, uh, we can talk about all the stuff that's going on. But here's the thing, before you move, make sure you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because you might be escaping this, but getting into some other place where maybe the Lord doesn't even want you there. Um, I've noticed one of the things I hear a lot is people saying, Brett, we moved and thought, thinking, well, we'll just find another church like Athey Creek. And, you know, and they go, wait a minute, is there anybody that teaches verse by verse in our community? And most of the communities, you don't find that anymore. So they're like, well, Brett, we are watching you online. I'm like, no, but you gotta find a church. Because online's great, but if it's possible, you've gotta try to, you know, and I understand there's some people that have to be at home and there's, there's no other great options. And if there are no churches, good churches. But um, when I use the word good, you kind of have to take that a little bit relative. I mean, uh, there's a lot of great churches out there that don't teach verse by verse. I'm just saying that. Um, but you're still supposed to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's why watch parties, we're trying to help people assemble. And the reason we're wanting them to become official is so that there can be pastoral care, coverage, even a little accountability, nothing heavy or weird, just, just so you're part of being part of a church a little more. Um, the fellowship part of that, that's important. But make sure and seek first all the decisions you make, all the stuff you do. Now, I'd like to finish with this notion, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's the, the way it's all gonna turn out when Jesus rules and reigns. That's setting your treasure into heaven. But it also says, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. What's his righteousness? You and I are unrighteous and sinful. But because Jesus is righteous, he died on the cross for our sins, rose up from the grave, that righteousness of Christ can be put upon us, superimposed over you. We're robed in his righteousness, the Bible says. Um, the fancy doctrinal word is, you know, um, imputed righteousness. And that's what we're to seek. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's why I'd like to end this service with two things. One, if you're not a Christian, you need to seek that first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, because you're unrighteous and you're sinful and you need to repent and say, I'm a sinner and I acknowledge my sin before God and then accept Jesus as your personal savior and Lord. And just with your mouth and with your heart say, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross, rose from the grave and that my sins are forgiven. Now I accept that work. If you do that, confession with the mouth, belief in the heart, you'll be saved, the Bible says. That's such a good bit of news. And for the long time Christian, you and I should continue seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And there's one way I like to remember that, one great way that I like to remind you of, and that is the Lord's table, the communion. That's why I'd like to end this service by seeking him and his righteousness uh, through the Lord's table. So would you please take out that little piece of uh, bread out of, if you peel back the top layer, if you didn't get one of these, by the way, the pastors are roaming around, but you peel back the little clear layer to uh, get to the little matzo bread. And then you peel back that foil layer, get to the, um, the, the cup of Christ and just prepare that and prepare your heart as we just seek the Lord as we close the service out. Lord, how thankful I am for this truth, Lord, that we can seek you and know that it's your righteousness um, that our sins can be forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for this, this communion service that you've given us, Lord, that we're to remember what you've done for us.